This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 8 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're joined by Darren from Earl Grey. How's it going, Darren? Uh, it's good. I've, I've put down my coffee mug of, of Earl Grey, and I'm ready to, uh, to drink some futuristic uh, future tea uh, in our <laughs> discussion today. Sounds sounds like a, a plan. Isn't Earl Grey futuristic future tea? Though? Well, it's. I mean, it depends on what kind of mug you have it in. I mean, it is a very old tea, but uh, you know, it, Captain Picard always had those fancy, you know, glassware with the little, you know, the stem that just, you know, I, I'm surprised those things didn't always fall over and break when the ship was <laughs> shaking around. You never saw a broken teacup except on Sulu's ship. So oh, that's yeah. true. Maybe they have like magnetic. You know, gravity stabilizer thing. Mini in, in, uh, internal dampeners. Yeah, uh, yeah. built in <laughs> inside the cup. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. That seems like a very good use of resources. <laughs> <laughs> so, for for people who don't know, which I'm sure is not many people, seeing as how you guys have like three times as many listeners as us, um, Darren is uh, one of the co-hosts of Earl Grey. So, but you've never been on this show before. And, I have not. And as is tradition with this show, we always like to sort of uh, get a, get a perspective from from where you're coming from uh, when it comes to Star Trek and and whatnot. So I take it you're a fan of Star Trek. Uh, I am just just a little bit. <laughs> uh, no, obviously my favorite of the series would be Star Trek: The Next Generation, and uh, along with my co-hosts. Uh, Philip Gilfus and Daniel Prue. We talk about that every week over on Earl Grey, part of the uh, Trek FM network. And uh, one great way to catch how I started in Star Trek uh, would be to listen to our first episode, uh, Imzadi Relationships, where we all talked about how we got into Star Trek The Next Generation. And then you could listen to episode two and then three, and then, you know, before you know it, you'll be caught up to episode 90 plus. Uh, But, you know, I've... I've really enjoyed Star Trek since, you know, my childhood, you know, watched a good portion of TNG in the early 90s live. And I, I was the, I was the action figure not keeping the box guy. So I was opening up my Playmates toys. I had the bridge. I had the, uh, you know, the Enterprise, the transporter. And, you know, I, and, I, and that's really got me into um what got me interested in filmmaking is I'd make my own little movies with my action figures and do live action, the parts that I couldn't uh, recreate. And my friends put up with me a lot. Uh, like this was my spring break was like, Hey guys, come on over for three, four days and let's make a movie with my Star Trek action figures. Wouldn't that be fun? And you know, they, they did and it was fun. So uh, yeah. So, but just really have enjoyed Trek from, you know, from the very beginning for me and, uh, and, you know, that led into DS9 and to Voyager. And I, I definitely, which I know is a popular opinion, I think the one of the ways that kind of helps shape what your favorite Trek is, is where you were in your life when it came out. Were you in college? Were you in high school? Were you, you know, married with kids? Uh, and what's great is it will continuously kind of change and evolve. You know, now watching certain episodes again, 
having, you know, a young daughter, it totally changes the perspective, you know, when you're watching data and him fighting for his daughter and, and other, you know, great episodes that were already great, but you just get a whole new, a whole new lens. So, uh, but yeah, but just really enjoy Star Trek and it's always fun talking about uh, the, the people who have been privileged enough to work in this great franchise. So I guess, uh, you know, so we know you're a fan of Next Generation and all that good stuff, but I guess as is relevant to this discussion, perhaps, uh, what are your thoughts on the JJ-verse movies, in particular, Into Darkness? In particular, Into Darkness, uh, it's it's a good film. I mean, it's it's a fun... I, I guess I, I definitely feel that JJ's going to probably be better suited for this upcoming Star Wars movie he's making. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's coming out this December. It's going to be a pretty big deal. Uh, but, no, I mean, I don't personally have anything against the JJ-verse. I mean, even the, the coin term is just is so funny how that came about. Uh, but it's it's i guess tos has never been my favorite even to begin with i just have never really gotten into it i haven't haven't watched it as much it's there's definitely great episodes that i enjoy and i enjoy the characters i probably enjoy the movies most of that cast uh more than the series but it just it was i'm glad that it brought more people into the fandom and and especially as now that we're turning out more blu-rays and just everything's on netflix and there's just so many ways to to reach trek nowadays i think that's one of the the greater contributions of star trek 2009 and star trek into darkness is just launching people into this huge universe of trek uh but as the movies themselves you know they're they're fun they're i think i i def you know i'm in the camp where i feel that star trek needs to continue to evolve as it comes out if we get another series you know it, it it can't be like next gen. It can't be like DS9. It has it's gonna have to be more for this time. Just like the movies. Like I, I agree that you, you do need to have them evolve to some sense, but it's a very fine line between the the medium involving versus it still being Star Trek. And I that probably is just gonna fall down to personal opinion when it's all said and done. Uh but you know, yeah, I it still has the enterprise still has awesome you know uh, awesome action and just uh it's it's a fun ride i enjoy them okay uh the the reason why i'm asking i'm sort of burying the lead here but today's (laughs) uh, topic of discussion is tomorrowland the new movie which was directed by brad bird and co-written by brad bird and our good friend damon lindelof who we've covered at great length oh david (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he uh, was, you know, a writer of a number of movies, all of which we have tackled uh, in to uh, a great degree. And whenever he has a new movie come out, just like with all of our creators, we uh, touch back with them and, and see uh, see what's going on. So today's our sort of Damon Lindelof supplemental episode where we look at his new movie, Tomorrowland. So, John... Would you want to give us sort of a uh, synopsis of of Tomorrowland? Sure. Honestly, I don't think I'd be able to. <laughs> well, uh, Tomorrowland is uh, it, it, it's a fable about um, the the smartest and uh, most creative people in the world um, find a, an alternate dimension, I guess, in which to exist and build the futuristic society that we had all dreamed of. 
Uh, and of course, the portal to it is uh, through the It's a Small World ride, originally in uh, Disney World. And you follow uh, a girl who um, finds this land by way of, uh, you know, the, your typical sort of spirit guide uh, character who takes you to the grizzled old uh, burnout who gets them back into Tomorrowland so that they can work their magic to uh, change things for the better. I think that's a pretty good description. Yeah. Um, okay, well, before we talk about the script, which is the main reason why we're here, I, I thought maybe we should do this sort of in reverse and start at the end and sort of work our way forward and talk about everything that's not the script. Um, okay. So if we're starting at the end, does that mean we're giving our five-star rating to, to start with? <laughs> I guess you could do that if you want to. Spoilers. No, um Okay, for, for one thing, there's a lot of, of Star Trek collaborators who worked on this thing. I mean, the crew is almost almost reads like, like the crew of uh, the J.J. Verse movies. You've got the music by Michael Giacchino. You've got, uh, you know, Lindelof, obviously, uh, acting as a, a writer and producer. Uh, uh, what's his name? J- Jeffrey Chernoff is, is also a producer. He was the, the production manager on the uh, movies, the, the line producer, if you will, or, or whatever you want to call him. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people like that. John Knoll, you know, was doing some visual effects and, and everything. There's, there's a lot of people who had worked on Star Trek in the past who are, are working on this thing now or just did. Uh, and there's a lot of cool stuff uh, in terms of the production. Also, shout out to Claudio Miranda, uh, the oh, cinematographer yeah. who yep. was almost the cinematographer of Star Trek Beyond, but not quite. Too bad. Anyway, <laughs> so what did you guys think about that stuff? Darren, what did you think about uh, Brad Bird's work on the movie as a director? Are you a Brad Bird fan? No, I am a Brad Bird fan. I mean, he's you know done uh, The Incredibles, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, which was great. Uh, my wife and I are huge Mission Impossible fans, more from the 60s TV show than from the, the, the early 90s movies. But uh, Iron Giant, you know, his work on The Simpsons, you know, he's just done, uh, he, he's done few big pieces, but every big piece he's done, you know, Ratatouille is just really strong and, and really well done. And Tomorrowland is no exception. Uh, it's just continuing on. Uh, you know, his just visually. You know, when I went to when I was in film school, and people would say, "Well, what does a director do?" I'd say, "Well, you're in my mind, your writer is creating this world. Your producer is presenting options to the director on like, can you do option A or option B? Like, you're, you're starting to refine it, but the director is the one who really has to have the vision, has to totally have the buy-in." to create this world and to take you on the journey of the story. And, and yeah. And for Brad Bird, he does, you know, he does a great job of immersing you into this world, which has one foot in like, uh, like John said, this alternate reality Tomorrowland, uh, which is not exactly like the uh, theme park uh, attraction, yeah. uh, but it's, uh, but it's pretty close. And then, you know, this other, you know, with kind of a Tesla Jules Verne, state fair in inspiration like thread that kind of goes through the entire film 
Uh, but no, but overall, I really, uh, I, I really enjoy his work in this picture. What did you think about the direction, John? Uh, I, there were things that I didn't necessarily care for. I, th- I felt there were decisions that were made. Um, how the movie opened, I think, uh, made it more difficult to get into. Uh, I thought yeah, that, that there was, was a different weird. point of attack uh, that he could have chosen um, that would have that would have made it easier for me to plug into it and probably shaved a couple of minutes off of the film. Um, I thought that the mo- when it got going, you know, the moments where it was clicking were really wonderful um, and visually just marvelous to look at. Uh, I, I mean, I really think that the, you know, when you first enter that world uh, and you're introduced to it through uh, young Frank Walker, um, falling and flying around it's just you know it captures everything that's wonderful about a magical movie where you're just there for the ride and you're enjoying it and you're learning the way the character is and it's just uh, you know a marvelous experience um you know it's an imperfect movie again there there are other decisions later down the line that i think I, you know, I'm not the director and I'm not a director, but I would say that um, there are decisions where had I been in the room with him and he said, I'm going to do it this way, I would have said, "Mm, I probably would maybe, you know, uh, not do it that way. Um, So, like, I I feel it's it's an uneven film, but it's an enjoyable film. Uh, the direction was something about the movie which really impressed me. I mean, throughout the entire uh, duration, I was uh, sort of in awe of the way that the film was constructed. Um, you know, like on a, a scene by scene basis, I would say. You know, I thought the set pieces were really solid. I thought that uh, the the choices that were being made, you know, from a directing standpoint. Were, were very spot on. And I am a, a Brad Bird fan. I thought that Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol was awesome. And, you know, his animation stuff is really good, too. And uh, I was also, you know, very struck by... I mean, like, I liked the opening and the way that they sort of uh, got into it that way. Mm. I thought the performances were, were really good. Um, I think, I mean, George Clooney is always amazing. But I think that Bird got a performance out of Clooney, which he hasn't given in a long time. And uh, like I said this, I think, on the 602 Club, but it reminded me of, of the George Clooney of, of From Dusk Till Dawn and that sort of like angry energy. And it, it really came through and he's really good at, at that stuff. He, and and the, the girl who, I forget her name, um, who I've never seen in anything before, I thought that she was really good as well. And, uh, you know, Hugh Laurie is always cool. Are you talking about Britt uh, Robertson the, as Casey? Yes. Yeah. That's her. Yeah. Yeah. But again, a new a new face, which there were a lot of new faces in this film, which I think helped it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the other girl, uh, Athena, um, mm. I don't know her name, but uh, she... Rafi Cassidy. Yeah. She was awesome, too. Yeah. She, you was, know? she was fantastic. She yeah. really yeah. was. She She's going places. Like, she's yeah. just kicking off her career, and it's... Yeah. She... she acting as an automaton is is difficult <laughs> to mm-hmm. say the least and and she carries it very well yeah and you know i mean the photography like we touched on that just for a second ago you know shot by claudio miranda like this guy is the i mean he's just the best you know i mean he did tron legacy that movie is freaking amazing 
you know and and he did i think he won an oscar for life of pi because you know whatever i guess because everyone won an oscar for life of Pi. yeah whatever but um you know he's also done lots of really good stuff too and um it was cool to see like uh, someone who's like as visually progressive and everything as bird teaming up with someone who can light a scene like nobody's business and and getting this this gorgeous look with a weird aspect ratio 2.2 to 1 and uh <laughs> that's pretty pretty awesome you know um and then the editing it's uh, Walter Murch who i think may have been yeah. fired at some point yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because there were two there were two <laughs> editors listed on it. Yeah, yeah. which isn't a, which isn't a, an odd thing. But I I think I remember hearing that Walter Murch got fired at some point. But I mean Walter Murch, the god of editing, you know, the guy they took who's, his pin away. Yeah, yeah. they took his pin <laughs> right. away. But but he, I mean, I thought that the editing in this was was really solid. And and then there's the music, which is by Giacchino, um, who is of course a Star Trek dude. What did you guys think about the music? Now, Darren, you said that you were just listening oh, to man. it before. It was, it was really good. I mean, I'm I'm definitely a, a, a good... I'm glad you said it because I have never known how to pronounce his last name, unfortunately. I've never heard it spoken I'm pretty enough. sure it's Giacchino, but Giacchino. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is just... Uh, he, he is going to be one... Of, he Not going to be. He is one of the greats now. He is just... He is heading up there with the likes of the great composers of the last decade last few decades i mean jurassic world inside out tomorrowland jupiter ascending uh you know star trek into darkness a ton of fringe you know mission impossible ghost protocol cars Two, star tours adventures continues i mean can't forget that but no he's just he's done he just has a sound and he he it's his sound and it's so hard to to not do like a william sound or to do a uh, you know horner sound and I mean, to a point, but he, you can tell he's inspired by some of the, their other works, but I, I feel like he still has his own sound. And in Tomorrowland, uh, as, as soon as I left the theater, I went and, and bought the score on iTunes and just listened to it because it, it, the, the, I love the main theme. I love the main motif that, you know, that rose through it. And overall, just the, I think the music helped capture that, uh, sense of hope that they were trying to push in something you kind of get like with a rocketeer score or something like that, where you just have these, these motifs and these moments of, uh, excitement. Yeah. what do you think about it, John? Uh, well, I, I think it's funny you mentioned Williams because, uh, something a, as a diehard star Wars fan that always plays on my mind is, you know, if, if Williams can't, uh, you know, I, this is going to be an impolitic way to put it, but if he can't live long enough to complete the Star Wars uh, sequel trilogy, you know who's going to step in? And that's something that I've often thought about. This score was uh, reminiscent enough of Williams for me that my impression walking out of it was, oh, Giacchino, sorry, Giacchino could uh, could step in and and do I this think score he could. because there there are definite moments of it where it, it sounded like a Williams score mm-hmm. and that's not a knock by any stretch of the imagination, but it was, it was, it was something that was, it, it was very familiar. Um, I enjoyed the score uh, very much. I thought that it, it served as a good voice of the film. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm agree. I'm in agreement that you know he's the guy. I mean, I think everyone thought that he was going to be the guy to score episode seven back before they said it was Williams. Like, I was shocked when they said that Williams was was doing the score, especially because of his collaboration with JJ. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I was like, really, it's not Jaquino? That's crazy. Um, and while I do love uh, Jaquino's work, which I could be pronouncing that wrong, by the way, so don't quote me. On well, it. no, the thing <laughs> is, you, you've said it officially, and even yeah. if you're wrong, you're right now. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I like that. Um, Michael G. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wasn't blown away by this one. You know, I've been blown away by him in the past numerous times. I wasn't blown away this time, and uh, it's not that there was anything... Um, wrong with it there was just nothing about it which stood out to me as being you know like one of those where I'm like I've got to get that and listen to it obsessively uh, so but it was still it was still really good um, so so that's that's all cool okay so we've talked about the production and how it's it's grade a top notch now let's get into the now the real game begins quote, uh, Jim Carrey <laughs> the story anniversary um, <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the writing. Uh, John, what did you think about uh, the the writing in this movie? I am not as willing to uh, saddle the script problems with Lindelof as I have been in the past, um, because as I understand it, the the ampersand versus the word and is an important distinction in script writing. Mm. Yes, um, I felt that. I went into this with an expectation of the bottom falling out of the third act because Lindelof's name was on it. Be that fair or unfair, that's when I see his name on a movie, my immediate presumption is uh, the first two thirds are going to blow what's left of my hair back. And (laughs) the last act is just going to make me leave the theater saying, man, I can't, why doesn't somebody keep him in check? But uh, I, I, there was nothing about the the writing or the that that ex- exploded for me that was you know there was no bits of dialogue that were phenomenal there were there were mm. no there was nothing Quotable. yeah there, there was nothing that i was walking out but it it was a well constructed um you know and i don't mean this as a pejorative kids movie um Mike, at your suggestion, I took my daughters to go see this. They loved it. They thought oh, it was That's fantastic. Right. And seeing it through their eyes, I, I think I looked at it maybe more forgivingly than had I gone alone or with you know friends of a similar age. I will say that the end feels a little rushed in some respects. Um, it feels a little loose or looser than it should be. Um, but, I, you know, I, it, uh, th- again, this will sound like an insult, but it's not meant as such. It, it was good enough. You know, like it, it, it served its purpose and it got you to, you know, it, it was constructed right, I, I guess, is the only way I can really convey it. All right. Well, so, so you would say it was... Decent. Then. Yeah, it's a but, decent. But let me script. let me ask you about this because you brought it up. You said that you were expecting the the bottom to fall out of the third act. Yeah. And do you think that that happened or not? No, I don't. Okay. And w- when you said that because of the the distinction, now I, I know based on everything that the two of them have said that Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof were, you know, intimately 
uh, involved in this movie, you know, together. You know, they were intimately involved in this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so it, it really was a team effort. Okay. And um, what do you, what did you think? What do you think about about that side of things? Or maybe we should wait. Let's, uh, Darren. Yeah, uh, let's wait. I guess before we get into that, Darren, what what did you think about uh, uh, the writing but, in this movie? There you go. Well, you planted the seed, and he can turn over that a couple <laughs> times in the in the head while I go. No, um, okay. yeah, no, I agree a lot with with uh, those points, John. I, I upon reflection, yeah, the the way they in the, they started it with the whole kind of flash forward, flashback kind of thing was a little weird, especially because it was so like the word not raw but just like you know hey let's talk hey oh i don't know no you talk oh no and it's just like is the movie starting what's what is going on like are we doing an addition uh but you know but but that aside uh the overall theme and the threads of this movie i loved uh the like i stated before with the with the music uh the the Tesla Edison Jules Verne, you know, uh, bright future, um, uh, Walt Disney is included in that, you know, of, of people, uh, though not stated, uh, and, and the world's fair aspect. Uh, I've probably, uh, like you too, I follow, uh, Doug Drexler, uh, a Star Trek, um, alum, I guess you could say, uh, who worked, uh, for many years on next gen and, and other shows, um, in, in the production, he's a world's fair uh you know just he loves it i mean i think he has like a luminary like in his backyard and he's just and he it's fun seeing someone like that when they talk about the world's fair because they they were there they and they just it captured them in a way that you know we haven't had uh, something like that you know in our experience really speaking for me personally so so that I kept thinking about the way Doug talks about the world's fair and about how, you know, uh, you know, other people talk about just that hope that it inspired of let's look to the future. Let's look to what could be, you know, great, big, beautiful tomorrow, you know, small world after all. And I love that, that, that part, how they wove that in, uh, to, you know, going through the, uh, the small world, you know, I got my 1960s, Tomorrowland pin right here so next time I ride the ride I can get selected <laughs> uh but yeah it you know it's it's just that fun ride where yeah you gotta definitely put belief kind of on suspension for a good chunk of the movie uh but once they sell you on like the the big concepts of you know the alternate reality and the you know what if a bunch of people once you get the pitch really of like all these people getting together to create this beautiful tomorrow um then you can just kind of sit back and just enjoy it as the characters are exploring it uh, for you. That's, that's another aspect I really liked is how the story was revealed to the protagonist uh, just, which is also how it's revealed to us. Um, You know, I feel she was a very strong character, uh, definitely made her own decisions, made her own choices, like was guiding and impacting. I mean, her choices actually directly impact uh, you know that clock it it impacts the story and that's what you need for a strong protagonist they're not along for the ride they are creating the story and uh, you know I'm always on the lookout now for for you know female protagonists I can show my daughter and be like hey look you'd be like uh, um, you know like 
Casey Newton and I'll be the crazy, uh, you know, ex NASA yeah. engineer that, uh, you know, tries to make uh, my own inventions. But, but no, overall, you know, the, I definitely enjoyed this movie and, and would, it's definitely what I'm going to get on, on my shelf. Uh, because, you know, I, I believe in, in what it's trying to say, uh, whether or not that was communicated well in the trailers or, uh, in the, in the marketing, uh, probably not, but what you actually get in the movie, I feel, uh, is something worth watching. Yeah. I mean, I agree with what, uh, what you're both saying, I guess, um, you know, to, to speak to Darren's, uh, point that I, I think that the, the themes in the movie and and the uh the overall uh um message of of thinking about things uh positively instead of negatively is is really kind of interesting and cool and good especially for kids you know i mean like john was saying uh i think that they kind of hit the nail on the head like really freaking hard um, and I think that, uh, this is a case where I know ne- I never really thought about this as far as like Lindelof is concerned. Um, but I think that maybe the bottom does drop out of the third act okay. when they're like, okay, this is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Spoilers, everyone. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Spoilers, but we're this getting is becoming- deep into the stories. Obviously. Right. Yeah. This is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, and, you know, if we stop telling people that the world is going to end, then the world's not going to end. I don't buy that. I don't buy that that's going to work, especially if the end is coming in two months or whatever it is. Oh, okay. I mean, I understand it in terms of a storytelling device and blah, 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 blah. I don't think it works dramatically. Okay, so but since we're in spoiler territory here, what yeah. works about it for me is that um the you know this 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 vision that they're giving people, it this hopelessness I very much read like it drives somebody finally to basically say F it and push the button as it were and start the end of everything. And um I think that there's uh in a sense uh, Hugh uh, Hugh Laurie's character is uh, Governor Nix is very yeah. much a kid friendly version of Agent Smith from the Matrix because mm-hmm. he's the one that has the diatribe where he's like, "Screw it, we you you people are unbelievable. You deserve yeah. your unhappiness. I don't care anymore." You know, like mm-hmm. it's very much a um, you know it, it, it's not a perfect ending because I felt that Governor Nix's. Um, Fate was uh, not, he didn't quite deserve the fate that he got. I felt he deserved a shot at some sort of redemption hmm. um, as opposed to a semi-comic, um, you know. That's because uh, there's no one in Tomorrowland. That was my problem well, with the Until the, last the very was, end. But even at the very end, there was like 50 people. Like in this entire city, I mean, and like I could... half of them were robots, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you know, maybe he kicked everybody out, not just Frank Walker. <laughs> well, what did yeah. what did you think, John, of um, of the secret? Because I think that me- meaning through the majority of the film, there's this secret of like something bad's going to happen, and then it leads into well, she might be able to change it and yeah. they they keep you going on a string for a long time until it finally you know the the shoe drops and it's like oh it's this you know uh 
uh, make me think of paycheck. It's like, oh, we, if we see the future, we predict the future, and then we cause the future. Uh, but what did you think of how they portrayed that of, you know, did did that keep you engaged the entire time? Or, or as yeah. it kept me engaged, I, I didn't figure it out until the shoe dropped. I don't know if, if you're just smarter than me. but No, no, no. I, like, her thread uh, kept me engaged mm-hmm. specifically because of the idea that it, it, it wasn't even that, you know, she was... Uh, you know, going to be the one to end the machinery, but she's the one that figured out that's how she affects the future is she's the one that points out you Mm. guys are telling everybody that it's hopeless. They don't even know what their machine actually does. Right. So that's how she changes the the future for everybody is she's the one that points out to them or to everybody, but governor Nix, because he obviously knows what he's doing, Uh, but she's the one that figures it out. Hey, you know, here's the and and it's as simple as it's foreshadowed in a sense by her father working on that machine, um, and you know, in the beginning, and he he can't get it to work, and she just moves one tiny piece over. Right. She moves a clamp, and all of a sudden it's working. She says, "Ah, you'd have figured it out eventually." Right. She just figured you know, it out sooner. Right. And, and so now, you know, to be fair, I, I'm not saying by any stretch that this is a perfect film. Um, or that it's, uh, you know, like I'm not shouting from the rooftops that it, that it's fantastic, but well, I think that it's a very good film and I think that's very much worth seeing. And I, I did like the, the, the trade, I I guess you could say the trademark Lindelof, uh, you know, secret that keeps the plot moving until the big reveal at the end, you know, like that's that's the mystery box home. or whatever yeah. you want to call it the yeah. MacGuffin or, or what yeah. although the MacGuffin I don't think you're ever supposed to find out exactly what it is or who cares um, well the MacGuffin I think is more what you see but the right. characters don't see if you're going back to, to pure Hitchcock but yeah but I know, I know the, what you the, mean the, yeah. the MacGuffin is the thing that doesn't matter right mm. so it's yeah. not that well this thing but, very much matters yes it so, does but yeah I know what you mean yeah the same principle yeah Okay, so, all right. So what, so what did you guys think about this? Now, I mean, we've talked a little bit, John, you were saying how you were expecting a certain uh, uh, quality drop and everything yeah. as you got to the end and everything like that. But um, I'm, I guess I'm thinking more thematically and whatnot. How do you see this fitting into the rest of, of Lindelof's career? Um, now I know we, we've talked about, you know, for those people who don't know, I guess, cause we have discussed all of his movies on the show, but for those people who may have missed them, you know, things like, I'm not going down a, a list here, but, you know, Prometheus, Cowboys and Aliens, World War Z, Star Trek Into Darkness, and then getting into his TV stuff, you've got Lost, uh, The Leftovers, which, um, now I haven't seen The Leftovers. I was planning on watching yeah. an episode. Do you guys watch The Leftovers? Nope. Okay, because from what I understand, it's some sort of like, you know, left behind kind of scenario where the apocalypse occurs and basically a bunch of people disappear. And there's like, you know, five dudes left, you know, to 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 inherit the earth. And that to me seems like kind of the opposite of what I don't know the take that they have on that on that thing. But it seems like kind of the opposite of what Tomorrowland is going for. You know, they're saying like. You, there's all this apocalyptic fiction 
in in the media these days, and maybe we should stop doing that and do something you know optimistic like Star like, Trek, like World War Z and yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Like I've I've made my channels with broadcasting on this antenna, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's it seems kind of strange that he would be doing this. Maybe it's it's a self reflective thing. Maybe I'm uh, you know giving my take before you guys. So sorry. Mm, no. Um, no. <laughs> But Darren, what what, uh, what do you think about the way that this movie fits into uh, Lindelof's career? Well, I haven't seen as many pieces of his career as as you guys have, but uh, but just thinking, yeah, on the on the base premises of these movies, yeah, maybe maybe it is the pendulum swinging back, you know, to uh, you know, Tomorrowland. It's Disney. It's everything's happy. I mean, not everything's happy. I mean, there's drama and there's, you know it's a it's a it's a constructed three-act story but uh but yeah but it's it it is interesting you know coming out in 2015 in this time where i mean you just i mean look at sci-fi in the last decade like it is all not all but a lot of it is you know it's just it's grit and it's blade runner-esque and it's dark and it's you know let's shove as much sand as we can in our eyes you know (laughs) Uh, and you know, not, it's not all like that, but we we get a lot of that. And you know, but you you know, I I, I love science fiction. I mean, my handle on Twitter is Doctor Sci-Fi, and you know, I love you know historical science fiction as well as new science fiction. And yeah, there's a lot of of classic sci-fi where it was you know, airships and space balloons, and you know, just not necessarily hope, but just fun. And like, look at what we can still, you know, reach for, which is, I think one of the core principles of star Trek is very similar to what we get in, in Tomorrowland is, you know, we will, you know, overcome our differences and our mistakes and we will reach for the stars and we will find what's out there and we will prosper. Uh, you know, we will live long and prosper. Uh, Mm. but, uh, yeah. And I think in the, in the, in that regard, Tomorrowland, would line up more with, you know, his Star Trek Into Darkness and, you know, other, other works. Uh, I mean, it's not Tomorrowland Into Darkness, but you you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I think that an undercurrent in Lindelof's works, um, and I've been no great defender of his. um, I've always said, you know, talented, but flawed, you know, you know, it's basically how I've seen him, but, uh, I think that Tomorrowland does fit in because he he may focus on you know weird islands and alternate dimensions and apocalyptic tales, but there is all they always end on a note of hope. World War Z ends on a note of hope. Um, Lost ends very beautifully and hopefully uh you know where everything sort of turns don't, around don't don't say it. i haven't seen it uh, no 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 it's no no i can spoil okay. it for you Does because when the cool end? when I mean, the kool-aid man breaks in at the end and they find out <laughs> okay. that they oh, just needed yeah. a new beverage everything's great but all right. okay th- there's right. very much a, a thread of hope uh in all of his works um except possibly cowboys and aliens which i have uh actually gone to great lengths to try to forget most of <laughs> But Cowboys and Aliens is what brought you to us. So it is the show. So you know, it's all every part of the lost plan. Every cloud has a plan. silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I kind of gave my thoughts on it already. That was my big high concept, how this fits into Lindelof's career idea there with the whole post-apocalyptic whatnot. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that this guy has, uh, I think what one of the cool things about his his career is that he does a lot of sci-fi stuff, but he doesn't, like, pigeonhole himself into just, like, one subgenre you know he's got a sci-fi western quite literally he's got a star trek you know movie he's got the the alien you know movie with the horror and the whatnot and then he's got this which is the kids movie and to speak to to what you were saying john i think it is really cool how uh you have all these top-notch filmmakers teaming up to make a kids movie i mean one of the things that i always think about is like spy kids and how that movie yeah. you know directed by robert rodriguez coming you know hot off the heels of like his el mariachi trilogy and whatnot and i got really excited about you know the idea of a kids movie being directed by one of the greatest action directors of our time and i kind of thought the same thing here until i realized that actually brad bird pretty much does make kids movies but yeah. it's the same concept you know it's all of these top-notch filmmakers like People like Walter Murch, who literally wrote the book on editing, um, you know, yeah. he like those guys all teaming up to make a big action kids movie, I think is really cool, you know, because kids deserve to have good movies, too, you know. Yep. Um, but regardless of that, you know, I, I, I think it's cool how it it um, fits into Lindelof's career in that it adds another level of, of diversity to his uh, his sci-fi stuff. Um, one more thing, which I kind of forgot to touch on. I don't even know where I would squeeze it in, but the idea that this is an adaptation of a uh, theme park section. Um, are you guys big Disney fans? Yes. Yes. Me too. I got married at that freaking place. Oh, and awesome. I have to say that I love Tomorrowland you know, and I love the fact that it like they incorporated like Space Mountain and all that stuff, and and the skyline, yeah, the sky, yeah, you know, and um, w- one of the things which I think is really cool about this is, you know, how do you adapt a theme park into a movie? And I think what they really did, which is really cool, is in addition to taking like the visual aesthetics and all that stuff, and also another really cool thing, I, I was lucky enough to go to the Disneyland in in uh, France. Uh, a couple of years back. Oh, Disneyland and, Paris. Yeah, and and the when they get into like the Jules Verne stuff and and the the Paris stuff and everything, like that aesthetic reminds me a lot of the aesthetic of the Tomorrowland in the Disneyland Paris, which I think is kind of cool, whether or not it was hmm. intentional. But I think yeah, their their Space Mountain looks totally different than any other Space Mountain. It's got much more. Yeah, it's very bits on it. I it's guess. very Jules Verne, and it's twice as intense, and it's awesome. Anyway, and <laughs> they still have the original Star Tours there, which I never thought I'd see again in my life. But <laughs> oh my god, the best thing ever. Anyway, in terms of adapting a theme park into a movie, I think that they did that as good as any movie could because they took what that theme park was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a optimistic vision of the future yeah and that's what the movie is it's not a beat for beat retelling of you know the haunted mansion or anything like that (laughs) it is spiritually an adaptation of a theme park 
and and even even to the point of like you know cramming as many weird crazy technologies and ideas into it as they possibly could and and i thought that that was super cool do you guys have any any thoughts on that or or not yeah i was gonna say it makes me think of of uh it really comes down to the pin in in my mind because the it's like it's the pin it's tomorrowland it's it's a symbol and that's what they really captured with with the title with with the whole you know just emphasis of the picture is they're like okay yeah we're we're not going to say oh well let's make a movie about you know waiting in line and oh look here's a star wars portion here's buzz lightyear no it's it's we're not we're not describing the the land we're describing just the message and the spirit of what that land is and that's just encapsulated it's it, it's in the pin it's in the the title which is what i think you know drew people to go see this movie i mean they could have called it something else they didn't have to call it tomorrowland they didn't have to line it up with um you know a, a theme park you know land but they did and and i think that's because it's tapping into this you know like you said jules verne you know just hope for the future you know what's 1986 going to be like you know maybe a little farther in the future but uh but yeah i think they do they do a great job of of capturing and harnessing that uh and it's fun yeah the little homages they place in the you know the space mountain and the skyline and and just because it's like how you have to be able to have your actors deliver the world the the word we're going to go to tomorrowland like with a straight face like in in a convincing manner you know and and they do and and it works yeah agreed all right well um any any final thoughts on on this movie anyone yeah uh i think that it's definitely worth seeing um i would actually encourage people to go see it um I, it's going to be off the big screen pretty soon um but i do think yeah, it's that, getting harder yeah i i do think that visually it's if for no other reason, even if you don't like it as much as I did or my kids did or anybody else did, visually, it's a wonderful film to watch. And uh, I, I hope, because I know that it's gotten, it's had trouble finding traction in the theaters, I hope that it finds a new life when it does come on to uh, on demand or you know, Blu-ray or whatever. I hope that people, I hope that it finds the audience it deserves. Darren? Yeah, I, I, I agree in, in all those points. I feel it'll probably get more legs once it is easier to access. You know, oh, I have I picked up the, you know, the Blu-ray of Tomorrowland. Why don't you come over and watch it? Oh, this is a great movie. You know, I kind of wish I'd seen it. Th- you know, I, I can definitely see that scenario happening. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it I don't think this is going to, you know, be the ship that launches, you know, a new Pirates of the Caribbean franchise of movies. But for what it is for this moment... And that's really what it is. It's 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 a, it's a it's a picture of a moment of like, hey, let's let's take this moment. Let's focus on, you know, the focus on the future and and focus on these positive things. And for that, I think it 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 does it very very well. And and yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's got you know good characters. It's got you know well acted pieces. You know George Clooney's totally channeling a lot of Danny Ocean I feel you know he's just kind of like eh, I kind of care but also I kind of don't and you know well you know it's got Nixie tubes I mean any movie that's got Nixie tubes in it you know you gotta you gotta love that but um but yeah no overall uh definitely a good picture like I said it's gonna go in the collection as soon as it comes out and 
we're going to see it again this Thursday, although we had to travel a little farther to find a theater because yeah. it is starting to dissipate. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's weird because when I first watched this movie, like the day before it came out, I was like, oh, this is really good. This is really cool. I, I really like what they're doing in here, and, and there's a lot of awesome stuff in here. And I left the theater thinking like, yeah, yeah, that was a good movie. And then like a couple days later, I was like, what happened in that movie again? Like, I totally forgot what was going on in that movie, and it completely left my mind, you know? And uh, I actually had to go back and re-watch this again yesterday in order to prep for this movie. Mm -hmm. And the second time through, you know, looking at it perhaps through a more critical eye, also not watching it at 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I uh, appreciated it more and yet also saw more of the flaws and um, I think my overall opinion of it hasn't really changed much. I think it is a decent movie for sure, and yet it has some um, pretty big problems with it. And um, while, while, I, while I would recommend it, there's a lot of stuff out there which I would recommend first. So take that as you will. All right. Uh, before we, we wrap this up, uh, we kind of have to touch on this. Um, you know, once again, you know, this year is the, 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 the crappiest year for in the history of Star Trek. Um, another uh, Star Trek creator has passed away, and that's James Horner, who, of course, is responsible for the, the music for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, as well as uh, having uh, won a couple Oscars for his work on Titanic and... Um, you know, being nominated for everything. He did the music for Aliens, The Rocketeer, which we were just talking about, the yep. music for The Rocketeer, like all this stuff. And uh, we just thought that uh, we should um, acknowledge that uh, because, I mean, his his work on Star Trek is awesome. I mean, like I was just listening to the Wrath of Khan soundtrack again today, and I'm like, my God, you know, there's some stuff where, you know, there, there are times where I give James Horner crap for, like, recycling, you know, music cues and whatnot. But you listen to some of the, the, the set piece music in, in Wrath of Khan, and it's just like, God, this guy was solid. Oh, please, that, that music from, uh, you know, the, the surprise attack, when, yeah. it, oh, when yeah. it starts up, it's just like you hear that, and you're like, oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. Like, that is, just, that, that is such a perfect piece of music. Uh, and then and then yeah. to follow it up with, you know, when he turns the tables, you know, yeah, which I mean, it's yeah. And then there's the Mutara Nebula stuff. It's just like oh, yeah. what's going and, on. And yeah, I, it, you, you can't go without mentioning Willow, the theme of which mm. to this day will still move me to tears. I mean, he, you know, and he did Braveheart and Aliens and everything. But like Willow is a very overlooked soundtrack. I totally overlooked it. Yes. <laughs> just like willow just like, <laughs> yeah no he i mean he's one of the you know the godfathers of of composers now and just i mean his from the 80s onward i mean his just his resume just it goes and goes and goes and goes uh yeah i mean you know star trek 2 uh kroll uh you know star trek 3 you know Co cocoon aliens uh, aliens yeah, commando uh, you know, Captain EO. He did Wait, Captain EO. Hold on. Pause there. He did the score for Commando. Yep. No, no, Commando, okay. 1985. Well, nobody's perfect. God rest <laughs> his soul anyway. 
Uh, no, but I've heard a lot of people say like, "Hey guys, don't forget Forty Eight Hours." I've never oh, seen yeah. Forty Eight Hours, but there's a lot of people who are like, "Don't forget that one. That was an awesome score." Well, yeah. and and he did a lot with uh, uh, with Spielberg and and like Amblin. I mean, you have uh, Balto, American Tale, and Five Goes West, or not Five Goes? No, it's American Tale. Um, Land Before Time. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. and you know, just yeah, but yeah, Willow, Field of Dreams, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Glory, Rocketeer, Avatar. Too. Yeah, yeah, Avatar, mm-hmm. Sneakers. I mean, Sneakers. Oh, that's a great score right there. Uh, you know, Casper, Apollo 13. Yeah, Apollo 13. He did Braveheart and Apollo 13. They came out a month apart. He got, <laughs> yeah. he got nominated for both of them. So. And he also did Casper. And in 95, he did Braveheart, Casper, Apollo 13, Jade, Jumanji, and Balto. Yeah, that's and, pretty and amazing. It just, it's ridiculous. So Mask of Zorro too, the first new uh, new Zorro one, which has again great, uh, great themes. So yeah, he's just it just goes and goes and goes and goes, and yeah, it's just it's it's very tragic. Uh, it's you know he'll he'll definitely be missed. Yep, agreed. And I, I know John and I haven't actually discussed this yet, but I'm sure that we will cover his work in greater detail in the not too distant future. So. Yeah. All right. Um, t- t- one more thing. You know, True Detective, I didn't watch it, but the, the first two episodes directed by Justin Lin, who is now directing as we speak. Well, not as we speak, but as you listen, is directing a new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, which is shooting in Vancouver. I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures and the tweets, people saying like, oh, my God, Simon Pegg and John Cho just came out of Jurassic World, you know, which makes like I want to know, like, what was their reaction to Jurassic World? Do you think they liked it? I don't know. Anyway, um, do they see it in 3D or not? I'm I'm very curious about that. (laughs) Oh, for a second, I thought you meant they came out like like they just finished making. I'm like, they weren't in Jurassic World. No, no. They went to see it because they're all in Vancouver and they're like, hey, you want to go see Jurassic World? Yeah, let's go see Jurassic World. Yeah, let's see. What's up with that movie? So yeah, I want to know if they all like got together to watch True Detective and then you know went over to Justin Lin and were like, "Hey, good job, I'm gonna, good job." Yeah, I'm gonna guess. Oh, not. they did. They totally did. You know they did. Yeah. Everyone watched True Detective except for the three of us. Yes, and I'm going to like as soon as we are done recording this. So, <laughs> so yes, there is a new Star Trek movie with new Star Trek creators currently in production. So. uh Exciting times, exciting times. Yes. Anyway, well, it's been fun talking about Tomorrowland this week. <laughs> I knew we were talking about something. Uh, but that's not all that we're talking about this week on Trek FM, so here's a taste of what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> And I'm wondering if it's because the comic book writers didn't understand what the filmmakers were doing or whether it was because the comic book writers wrote themselves into a corner or whether it was because the comic book writers wanted to open their stories up to more possibilities. Earl Grey. We divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. This year, opening for five-year mission is... Del Rock. Del Rock. Del Rock. They'll rock your world. Bajoran style. The ready room. 
I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard and he's like, hey, what up? To the journey! My question is, what would Janeway have in place of banana pancakes? Because that's Bolana's thing. Would Janeway's be coffee ice cream? I was just about to say coffee ice cream. <laughs> my, my lips... My lips were forming the syllables to say coffee ice cream. <laughs> Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. And I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that the future guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. I know that both of us will come out of it okay, but <laughs> since Matthew... He's not used to sparring with either of us. I'm afraid that he's going to be a bloody mess lying on the floor of the 602 Club. The 602 Club. You know, that's Bryce Dallas Howard's decision. She wanted to do that. She made the decision that the the character wouldn't get out of these heels. Which to me said, this character has changed some. Like, she has learned some things, but there are some things about her that are not going to change. Literary treks. You know, Bajor getting through the occupation with its faith and this faith kind of coming back in Cardassia and helping them kind of get through, you know, their darkest hour. Yeah, I definitely do like kind of how it's come full circle. Axanar, the official podcast. I tried different action figures. Uh, I tried Black Widow. I tried the Black Widow from uh, uh, the, the Hot Toys Black Widow. Too small. It wouldn't work with really? the other action. Yeah, it didn't didn't photograph quite. But, but tell everyone why you're photographing action for you. Women at warp. So she definitely knows cats. I say that right off the bat. She knows cats and bones. Yes, definitely. Of course, bones would get annoyed with all the cat fur. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows, including Earl Grey, and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond Star Trek Beyond. Uh, you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts, like Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, the Windows Phone, or, you know, Apple. Uh, you can uh, um, hit the subscribe button, and that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. You can rate us either five stars or three and a half stars, depending on what you think. Five stars. Yep. That joke won't make sense. We're telling this like like uh, like they told Tomorrowland. That joke won't make sense to anyone until tomorrow when they listen to the 602 Club. Um, it, uh, you can also uh, download the file straight from our website, um, or you can get the RSS link there as well. So, uh, yeah, go find us. Um, another way that you can help us out is uh, by supporting the network on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, where you can become a patron. You'll find all of our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you, including early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. 
If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find the network on Twitter at trek.fm. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, where you'll also find the Babel Conference. Just type uh, um, the Babel Conference into the search field. That's B-A-B-E-L. Or uh, go to our website uh, at trek.fm and click on the discussion tab on the menu bar. Uh, Darren, where can people find you on the internet? Well, if they want to listen to me talk about Star Trek, which they might based off uh, your clientele, they can obviously listen to me every week on Earl Grey, our Star Trek The Next Generation podcast here on Trek FM, which comes out on Tuesdays. And you'll hear me with my co-host, Daniel Prue and Philip Gilfus. But if they wanted to chat about science fiction, Tomorrowland, uh, you know, or just that bad, cheesy 80s stuff that just they somehow got away with, they can best reach me on Twitter under username Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. Or if they want to read about uh, other podcasts I've been on or my Stormtrooper adventures, they can find that on my website, DrSciFi.com. Excellent. John, what about you? Oh, well, you can uh, find me uh, uh, on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, uh, and you can find me also on uh, a weekly podcast called Words with Nerds uh, that I uh, co-host with my friend Craig, where uh, we we focus on, we don't really focus on anything. We're sort of like cats of the nerd domain. That's good. That's good. I like that. Um, as always, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing uh, Standard Orbit with Drew, or you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Trackstars Off Topic and Commentary Trackstar Babies. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find all of us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Darren. We really appreciate it. Uh, It's cool to finally get you on the show and get your perspective on things. Uh, now we've had all of our Earl Grayers uh, on on commentary Trek stars. Makes so us sound great. very old when you say it that way. <laughs> T Trekkers, uh, you know. T Trekkers, our next our, our next geners. <laughs> there you go, next okay. geners. Okay, um, but yeah, thank you very much, and you're you're welcome back anytime. And John and I will be back next week to begin a new series on Maurice Hurley. Hey, he's the next-gen guy. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring the 602... No, shit, because I (laughs) stole the copy from the 602 Club. Oh, should I start that over? Six O Track Club. Whatever. It's all the same thing.